Matthew chapter 23 is where we'll be today. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to tell you guys a story about my past a little bit. Now, if you were here in the first service, you know this, but anybody else, I don't think you would know this. So, I used to be a part of a biker gang. <laughs> why is why are we laughing? Come on, I used to be a part of a biker gang, for real, I did. Uh, I was, I was uh, about 12 or 13 years old. Uh, we lived in a neighborhood, and it was awesome. The neighborhood was on this hill, which meant that bicycles were the best because there was this giant hill that you could ride them down. It was absolutely incredible. I grew up in Newark, so if any of you are familiar with Newark, Nottingham Road is the road I grew up on, if anybody knows that. But it's literally a neighborhood on this giant winding hill. And so we, we would love to ride our bikes. It was me and three or four of my neighbors, and we would get together, we would ride our bikes up and down the hill. Up was not as fun, down was always a blast, right? And we absolutely loved it. And so we were all sitting around, it was like, you know what, let's just call this what it is. We're all, we're all a bunch of dudes riding bikes. This is a biker gang. Like, that's what this is. Let's just, let's just clear it up right now. That's what this is. And so we had this make-believe biker gang that I was a part of. So now you all know, and you can go on to tell all your friends, hey, come to the church. The student pastor used to be in a biker gang. He's really cool. Tell everybody that, and I'll, I'll answer all those questions. It's great. So yeah, I was in a biker gang, but it wasn't real right? It was pretend. I don't have a leather jacket and ride a motorcycle. I've never ridden a motorcycle. That's, that's not me. That's not what I do. But we did have this pretend biker gang. It was just make-believe though. How many of you would say you've met somebody who maybe uh, the make-believe part about them wasn't that they were in a biker gang, but somebody who was fake? They weren't real. They weren't genuine. Anybody? Show of hands. Somebody who wasn't real, they were fake. They were make-believe. Maybe they were religious, but they didn't have any relationship with God. Maybe they, were, uh, they pretended to be a family man when they were in public, but privately they weren't. Maybe they pray in public, but they never pray in private. They read their Bible in public, but never read their Bible in private. Maybe they love to brag about their suffering for God and don't practice humility. Maybe they pretend to be holy on Sunday and then sinful throughout the rest of the week. Anyone ever met somebody like this? There's a fake, yeah. Somebody that kind of is a pretender. Someone who's not just make-believe, but a make-believer. They, their faith isn't real. They're hypocritical. The fakes, the make-believers, they frustrate us, Right? They're frustrating. Anybody getting, gotten frustrated by somebody who was fake? They were hypocritical? Just me? I, I know it bugs me. If I meet somebody and they're, they're fake, it's like, ugh, like, why can't you just be who you are? I'd rather you be you and a jerk than be nice to me and a jerk behind my back. Like, I'd rather you just be who you are. We aren't the only ones who get frustrated with these kinds of people, though. In fact, Jesus himself was frustrated with these make-believers, and that's where we find ourselves in Scripture today, Matthew chapter 23. But before we get into chapter 23, I want to look back at chapter 22, just to give a little context behind what's happening. Uh, the Pharisees are there with Jesus, and the Pharisees, they're, they're the religious leaders, and they try, they try to trick Jesus by asking him a question that they don't think he'll be able to answer. They, they ask him, it says a lawyer asks him, which law is the greatest of all the laws? 
Because they're thinking, man, surely Jesus can't say one is greater than the other. Which, which law is the greatest of all the laws? And this is where Jesus gives us the greatest commandment in the law. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus answers them perfectly, right? And after they receive that answer, they're like, okay, well, we don't have much of a rebuttal for that. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they kind of, they kind of back off. They, they let him be. But then in chapter 23, Jesus begins then to denounce the scribes and the Pharisees. Those who were these religious hypocrites, these make-believers. He begins, he spends a whole chapter saying, hey, this is what's wrong with these people. So, as we go through this portion of scripture today, what I want you to do is just evaluate yourself. And honestly and genuinely ask yourself, are any of the attributes that Jesus calls out in these fake religious people, are any of these attributes present in my own life? And if they are, let's fix it. Let's get it addressed. You guys ready to get into God's word today? Yes? All right. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. And I thank you for how you've blessed us. And I thank you for your word God, I ask that you would allow me to get out of the way and for you to speak through me and that I wouldn't say anything that you wouldn't have me to say. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse one. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say... And they do not. So Jesus begins by telling everyone that a certain amount of respect is due to these scribes and Pharisees. They deserve it, right? Because they are in a position of authority. Uh, he says that they sit in Moses' seat. There is, there is a, 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 an amount of, of respect that should be given to them simply because they are authority in their lives. Now, I imagine that the Pharisees, they were very happy to hear this, right? They're sitting in the background and they say, yes, Jesus, preach it. Yep, yep, yep. we have the authority. Make sure you listen to us. But then he continues to say, but don't do as they do, only do as they say. Because they say good things, but they don't do good things. And I imagine that the Pharisees are like, oh, oh, didn't know you were going to say that part. Right? And they weren't happy that he would be saying that. But I do know that there is an important lesson to be learned here just in Jesus' own introduction. All right, he, he's introducing this whole thing and the first thing he says is, hey, these people have an authority. Make sure that you give them the honor and the respect that they're due. But don't li- only listen to them, don't do as they do. And here's what I think the most important lesson is. Right, religious people, they can be hypocritical. Churchgoers can hurt you. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody who goes to church? Yeah. People who claim the name of Jesus will do terrible things, even sometimes in the name of Jesus. It happens. It has happened. It will continue to happen. God's people don't always treat God's word and his name in the proper way. 
So here's the lesson to learn here at the very beginning. Never, ever, ever let the Bible lose its power and authority in your life. Or let Jesus' reputation be dirtied in your mind because of the people who have misused Jesus' name and his word. Because there's going to be people who misuse the Bible. There's going to be people who, in Jesus' name, do terrible, awful things. But that was those people doing it. It was not his word. It was not himself. It was not Jesus. It was not God. So yeah, God's people, they'll let you down all day long. But his word and himself, they will never let you down. So when it comes to, to that point where you meet somebody who's hypocritical and you think, man, I'm done with church. I've met so many hypocritical Christians. Yeah, you probably have. I have too. But you've never met a hypocritical Jesus or a hypocritical word of God. Right. right? Because those are always faithful. They always stay the same. So when you're hurt, don't blame the God of the people who hurt you because he's not the one who did it. Always stay focused on who God is and what his word is. People are sinful and we mess up and we make mistakes, but that's people. It's not Jesus. It's not his word. So after this first mini lesson, uh, Jesus gives us the first attribute of a make-believer. Now I'm going to let you know ahead of time, there are nine of these attributes that he gives. So we're going to go through all nine, but I promise you, that some of them are like super short. They're, they're really quick. So when I say nine, it's not like we're going to be here for the next hour. That's not the case. I'm, I'm fairly short-winded. So don't worry. They'll go by pretty quickly. So beginning in verse four, he says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The first attribute of a make-believer is that they lay oppressive burdens on others. They lay oppressive burdens on others. The Pharisees, they would place burdens on others that were not biblical. In fact, they, they pushed this mindset of the stricter you are, the more holy you are, and the more that God will like you. Right? The more rules that you follow, the higher view God has of you. But this is actually the opposite of what the gospel is supposed to be. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse easy, for my, or, verse easy, verse 30, Man, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the religious, they are burden bringers, but Jesus is a burden taker. When you, when you come to Jesus and you understand, man, I'm a child of God. And because of that, I don't have to live for acceptance. I don't have to prove my value and my worth to God, but he already accepts me. Yeah, man, I'm not living for your acceptance. I'm living from your acceptance. And that acceptance is what motivates me towards a righteous life, towards righteous living. The first attribute of make-believers is that they lay oppressive burdens on others. That was the first one. See, I told you, they were quick. They're quick. On to the second one. Second one, beginning in verse 5. But all, they, all, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, but be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, 
even Christ. The second attribute of a make-believer is that image is everything. Image is everything. Uh, it says in this passage that they make broad their phylacteries. A phylactery is a, it was a small leather box that Jewish people would wear on their head. And they would, they would strap this uh, like a, a, a leather band and this box would be strapped on their head. And inside of it were little pieces of fabric that contained the Torah or the law. All the rules that they followed. And so if you wore this, it was like saying, hey, I am a spiritual person. I follow the rules. It, you literally could wear a shirt that says like, I'm a rule follower. And that's pretty much what this band meant. And so they would not only wear it, but they would make it bigger. They would put a, a bigger box on there. They would enlarge the phylacteries. I, I like to, uh, to imagine, and the Bible doesn't say this, but my imagination says this, that maybe they would make it like really big and there's people walking around, they're looking like idiots and they have like this huge box on their head. And they're walking around thinking, man, this is how spiritual I am. Do you see how big my phylactery is? And that's what they're bragging about. Not only did they do that, they, they enlarged the borders of their garments because it, it had a, a spiritual significance in their culture. So they would, make, they would do everything they can to look as spiritual as they can. They loved when people called them rabbi. They loved to have the best seat at the table in all their religious gatherings. They, they loved to be noticed because image was everything. Now, I don't see any phylacteries or any like enlarged borders of garments in the room today because that was their culture. So how, how does it apply today? Well, let me, let me ask this question. Have we maybe ever thought that we were more spiritual than somebody else because of our appearance or theirs? That we had a better positioning with God because of our appearance or theirs? I'm guilty of that. There's been times where I've seen people and thought, man, they've got it figured out. They look super spiritual. Or I've thought the opposite of that and thought, man, they need Jesus. Just from looking at them, right? Are we guilty then, maybe sometimes, of making sure that we look as spiritual as we possibly can? Because that's what these make-believers did. They, they loved it. Image was everything to them. They loved to be noticed. And Jesus warns the people that they should not imitate the scribes and the Pharisees in their actions. His followers should always remember that you are all brethren, is what he says. You're all brethren. And that one should not be exalted above, above the others by titles that are either demanded or received. Uh, pastor Chris and I, we both have the title of pastor. And we love it. It's, it's our job. It's our calling. We're honored to do it. It's, a, it's our greatest joy to do it. But the fact that I'm a pastor does not put me at some higher spiritual level than any of you. It doesn't do that. We're all, it's a level playing field. We're all brethren. Yeah, I have the title of pastor, but I'm just like you guys are. Uh, when we go to, to family functions, one of Lydia's uncles, he'll ask me to pray when we're there. And he'll say, Bryce, can you pray? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll pray before the meal. And he's like, he's like, okay. He goes, you know, you have more pull than I do. <laughs> and I always kind of laugh. And I say, you know, that's not true. And he goes, yeah, whatever. And he always walks away. But he, he, I think he, like he genuinely thinks that. I'm here to tell you, I have no more pull with God than any of the rest of you do. When we, we all have, have the, the same ability to boldly approach the throne and to go to God and say, hey, this is what's going on. Here's what I'm asking you for. It's not like, oh, wait, hold on. Chris, you got to wait. Bryce is here. Wait a second. 
That doesn't happen. We all can go to the throne. We all have that same ability. Just because we have some title does not mean that we're in a higher spiritual level than any of the rest of you or that God prefers us over anybody else. That's not the case. You see, titles aren't necessarily wrong, but they are wrong when they are used to elevate our spiritual position. Why? Because we're all brethren, is what he says. We're all brethren. What Jesus forbids is the, list, is the lust for and the hunting after such titles. And the titles being used in a way that elevates oneself or puts down others. He continues on in verse 11 and says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You see, God calls us to service and humility. In every other kingdom, greatness is measured by how many people serve you. But in the kingdom of God, the opposite of true. Greatness is not measured by how many people serve you, but by how many people you serve and how many people you show honor to. Uh, Last night, I I told my wife Lydia, I said, hey, I'm going to go and work out because I want to wake up skinny before I preach tomorrow. Um, Didn't work. But it was worth a try, and I, I did, I did want to work out, get my blood flowing, get a good night's sleep, and then wake up ready for the day today. So I went down, I worked out, I did a, a, a workout on Apple Fitness Plus. Anybody ever, ever use that? No, no? It's a, it's a subscription that Apple does, and basically it plays like these workout videos, and you can do it with the video. So anyway, I was doing one of those, and uh, it was this guy, and he was doing this workout, and uh, he, he, they were called uh, squat, squat Chops. And so you, you jump, and you land in a squat, and then you chop. And I mean, he was like, get into it, like chop it really hard. And he's trying to motivate you. And he's like, he's like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to imagine anything in your life that doesn't serve you is what's in front of you. And that's what you're chopping. And he's like, here we go, chop. It doesn't serve me. And chop, chop, chop. And he was just trying to motivate people. But then I thought, man, how like picture perfect is that of our culture today? If it doesn't serve me, Get out of my life. Chop it down. And the kingdom of God is the exact opposite of that. It's not, about, it's not about who or what is serving you. It's about who you can serve, who you can show honor to, who you can show the love of Christ to. For make believers, image is everything. In verse 13, he says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. The third attribute of a make-believer is that they block the way to heaven. They block the way to heaven. The job of these men were, the job that these men were supposed to do was to show the people the way into the kingdom of heaven. This should have been through faith in and obedience to God Instead, though, they built and enforced a mountain of additional rules while securing their own power and their own status. And even worse, when Jesus arrived as the Messiah to show the way to the kingdom, the Pharisees and the scribes rejected him, which ensured that they and those who followed their teaching would never enter the kingdom. Those who should have been guides and gatekeepers had come to block the gate keeping God's people out instead of welcoming them in. Make believers block the way to heaven. 
verse 14. It says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. The fourth attribute of a make-believer is that they steal from the vulnerable. They steal from the vulnerable. Using clever and dishonest dealing, the scribes and the Pharisees, they stole widows' houses. Now they were careful to cover it up in the name of good business or stewardship. And then they would also pray long and falsely spiritual prayers just to increase their spiritual image. Again, because image is everything to them. Make believers. They steal from the vulnerable. They take advantage of those who are vulnerable. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. The fifth uh, attribute of a make-believer is that they build their kingdom. They build their kingdom. These religious leaders, they were very zealous in their evangelism. And this isn't what's condemned here, right? We should probably learn a lesson from them. In their zeal to reach the lost, they would go out and make converts, right? They would go and they would, they would reach them. Maybe we should learn something from that. Maybe we should, have, we should be more zealous when it comes to our own evangelism. But the problem is, they didn't go and reach them for the kingdom of God. They reached them for their kingdom. It says that they would compass sea and land to make one proselyte. Now, the proselyte was the full convert who had accepted the ceremonial law and circumcision and who had become, in the fullest sense, a Jew. A Jew. They weren't converting them to the kingdom of heaven. They were converting them to come and be a Jew to their kingdom. They were building their kingdom. They weren't giving them the gospel. They were saying, here's a list of things you need to do, and then you can become a Jew. They weren't sharing the gospel as the gospel is given to us. And in this respect, the religious leaders, I mean, they were similar to, to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. They were courageous and energetic messengers, but they carried a false message. Jesus condemns them for converting people to their rules, to their agenda, to their religion, because they did not convert them to the kingdom of God. They weren't building God's kingdom, they were building their kingdom. Make believers build their kingdom. Chapter 23, verse 16. It says, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind. For whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, swears by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, swears by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, swears by the throne of God, and by him that sits thereon. The sixth attribute of a make-believer is that they make false promises. They make false promises. Jesus reminds them and he reminds us that every oath is binding and that God holds the oath, the oath maker accountable even if they excuse themselves. So when we make a promise, we are expected to keep that promise. Jomo Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, 
He says, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. In other words, he says, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, or yea, yea, nay, nay. Just what you say, let it be what you mean. Just be somebody who's known for speaking the truth. It shouldn't be, hey, I'm going to do this, yes. Uh, Did they really mean yes? That shouldn't be an attribute of a Christian. It should be, we speak the truth. We should be known for speaking the truth, and not only speaking the truth, but speaking it in love. Make believers make false promises. Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. The seventh attribute of make-believers is that they major on the minors. They major on the minors. These scribes and Pharisees, they were so focused on making a big deal out of tithing on mint and anise and cumin, tithing on these spices, but they had forgotten and forsaken the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. Make believers focus so much on the minuscule details and they ignore the central and weightier matters of Scripture. Uh, I've uh, been trying to make sure that I, I don't do this. I've struggled with this before. And so I've, I've begun to ask myself a, a question. How many of you would say, hey, you have questions that you like ask yourself in times where you're thinking of stuff? Anybody? Yeah, I, I do that. I, I ask myself questions. And so whenever something uh, begins to frustrate me now, especially when it comes to, to religion or different things, and I, I always, I, I'll stop and I'll ask myself this. Every moment, every single moment, every moment, people are dying and going to hell. How important is this thing that's frustrating me in relation to that? Every moment, people are dying and going to hell. How important is this in relation to that? That has helped me not major on the minors, but to instead focus on the weightier matters of Scripture. You see, religious people, they love to focus on preferences and ministry methodology rather than things like the fruit of the Spirit, having a deep walk with Christ, an active prayer life, studying biblical doctrine, putting on the full armor of God. Make believers major on the minors. Verse 25 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup, and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. The eighth attribute of a make-believer is that the inside and the outside don't match. The inside and the outside don't match. You see, the, the religious, they're satisfied with a superficial cleansing and the appearance of righteousness. But what's on the inside will eventually come out, right? You can clean up the outside as much as you want, but it's always going to get dirtied if you never clean up the inside. But if you clean the inside first, it can make the outside clean as well. And you can truly be clean all the way through. 
So yeah, you may have some problems, you may have some sins in your life, but those sins may just be a symptom sin of something that's deeper. You have to get to the root of what the actual issue is. You have to be willing to dig down deep and find out what the problem is. He continues on in verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. They look great on the outside, right? It's rare that you meet a, a very religious person who doesn't look nice. They look great on the outside, but inside they may be spiritually dead. And let me tell you this, you may fool everybody else. You may fool all the people you go to church with. You might even fool your own family. You might even fool your own friends. But God is never fooled. God always knows the inside. God always knows what's going on. And let me warn you with this too. If this is you, if the inside and outside don't match, the ones who are going to, to suffer the most from this, face the most consequences from this, are the ones who are closest to you. Your own family, your closest friends, if you're a parent here today and you are a great Christian on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, it doesn't matter to you, your parents or your, your children are going to be the ones who suffer from it. They're going to be the ones who think, man, my dad, my mom, they're just hypocrites. Why would I ever do this church thing if, they're, if this is what it is? If that's what it is, I want nothing to do with it. So when you're fake, when your inside and your outside do not match, the ones who are closest to you are the ones who are going to face the greatest consequences. We're going to reap the worst reward from it. I was uh, working on this message on this past Thursday at a coffee shop. I was sitting there at, at this coffee shop and there was two teenagers who were working at the coffee shop and then another teenager came in and he was, he was friends with the two that were working, and so he, he was talking with them and stuff. And it was, it was weird. Everybody in the coffee shop left except for me and these three teenagers. And I was working on this message, and I was like, I was like man, I kind of want to ask them a, a question as I'm thinking through this. And so I got up, I went over to them, and I said, hey, uh, I just want to ask you guys a, a question. I'm a pastor. I'm working on this message, and I, I'm just looking for an opinion. There's no right or wrong answer. I just want your guys' opinion. And they said, okay, yeah, sure, go for it. So I said, I said, what, in your opinion, is the greatest frustration with religion? Like, what's your greatest frustration with religion? They all got quiet for a little bit, and then the guy who was behind the counter, he spoke up, and he said, he said, well, to be honest with you, I, I used to go to church and stuff. He said, and I just, it just didn't seem relevant. It never connected to me. They were always talking about all these rules and these different things that we had to follow, and it just seemed like it didn't matter in today's world. So, okay, all right. The guy who was sitting across the counter, the guy who came in, he wasn't working. He said, oh man, I, I agree with him. I, I, he said, I, I feel like everybody in church seemed to have some special connection with God, but I never did. He said, I didn't get it, just didn't fit in. I never connected with God like they did. And then there was a girl sitting on the counter. She was quiet and I asked her, I said, hey, what, what about you? What's your, what's your greatest frustration? She said, I feel like in all religions, they, you, you have to fit some sort of mold. There's this cookie cutter Christian that you're supposed to be. And you have to fit into that in order for God to like you. I said, man, 
everything that you're saying is like everything I'm talking about on Sunday. It's like, this is what Jesus said. That's what he was saying. And I know that, that I, I don't know all of their church backgrounds. I know what they said may, may not have been perfect to this. But man, it showed me their heart that they felt like, hey, it feels like when I go to church that everybody has some special connection with God, that I have to fit into this certain form, that I have to be something in order for God to love me, in order for God to want me. And that's not what it's supposed to be at all. Right? We're living from acceptance, not for acceptance. Every other religion in the world says change and you can come and be a part of us. Christianity, what Jesus says is come to me and you will be changed. Come to me exactly how you are and then you will be changed. I, I told him, I said, this is what Jesus said. This is, this is what he was all about. If you guys want to come, I don't think they're here today, but I try to get them to come because, man, they, they just needed to hear about Jesus. The one who said, yes, 100%, I agree with you. That's not the case. You can come as you are. He continues on in verse 29 with our last attribute of a make-believer. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation." You see, the ninth and last attribute of a make-believer is that they denounce the sins of the past but participate in present sins. They denounce the sins of the past. They were saying, no, we would, if we were there, we would have never killed the prophets. They denounce the sins of the past and partake, participate in the sins of the present. They claimed to honor the dead prophets while denying the current prophets and eventually even going on to kill future prophets. Now, none of you here today are going out killing prophets, I hope. But here's maybe where, where it can relate. Maybe you have found yourself saying, especially as we just went through Easter, man, how could Judas have betrayed Jesus? How could he do that? What's wrong with that guy? How could Peter deny Jesus? What? How did he do that? What about so-and-so who has had God's blessing on their life so evidently? God has been so faithful to them, and now they're leaving everything that they knew and loved. They're leaving God. How could they do that? Have you guys seen uh, all of the, the Christians who are deconstructing? They're deconstructing their faith. Uh, if, if you're unfamiliar with what that is, there's a, a lot of pastors who have done it. There's uh, Christian music artists who have done it. And there's, it's people who have grown up, uh, they, they say, genuinely believing in Jesus, genuinely believing in God. And then they come to a point where they deconstruct their faith. 
they come to a point where they denounce God and they say, listen, I'm done. I've been living a lie. I'm not doing this. They deconstruct your, their faith. And maybe you think, how could they do that? Who are these people, right? I would never do anything like that. Let me caution you how Scripture cautions us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, I would love to say that I would never betray Jesus. I would never deny Jesus. I would never deconstruct my faith. I would never just walk away from God. And man, most of the time I feel that way. But I have to be cautious. I have to be humble. I have to take heed lest I fall. Because Judas probably didn't plan on, it wasn't his life goal to betray Jesus. Peter didn't have a life goal of denying Jesus. Those who are deconstructing their faith didn't have a life goal of living as a Christian for 20 plus years and then deconstructing everything that they've known. It's not as if people plan for this. It's that they didn't take heed. And so they did end up falling. None of us are above falling into temptation. So we have to stay humble. We have to stay on guard. You see, the religious, they will trust their own ability to fight off temptations. But we have to be humble enough to recognize that we need God to help us fight off those temptations. See, make believers, they denounce the sins of the past, but they participate in present sins. Jesus is very clear in his denunciation of the religious Pharisees, the make-believers. So let's circle back to that first question. Are any of these attributes, are any of them active in your life? If they are, let's correct it. Let's get it right. Let's fix it. In review, they lay oppressive burdens on others. Make believers, to them, image is everything. They, they block the way to heaven. They steal from the vulnerable. They build their kingdom. They make false promises. They major on the minors and they minor on the majors. Inside and outside don't match. They're hypocritical. They denounce the sins of the past, but they participate in present sins. So here's the flip side of that. Shouldn't we then as Christians practice the opposite of what these make-believers do? Shouldn't we have the attributes that are the opposite of the attributes of the make-believers? Right? If they lay oppressive burdens on others, then shouldn't we carry the light burden that is grace and show and carry the easy yoke of Jesus and point others to that? Shouldn't we not care what others see, but about what God sees? Shouldn't we live from acceptance and not for it? Shouldn't we point to the kingdom of heaven instead of blocking the way to the kingdom of heaven? Shouldn't we present a grace-filled gospel as is given in scripture, not a works-filled, rules-based religion? Shouldn't we help the vulnerable, not take advantage of them? Shouldn't we build God's kingdom and not build our own kingdom? Shouldn't we keep our word, speak the truth, and speak it in love? Shouldn't we make a big deal about what God makes a big deal about? And let preferences be preferences. Let opinions be opinions. And focus on what God focuses on. Shouldn't we be genuine, not different on the inside and out, but true blue all the way through? Shouldn't we denounce all sin, past, present, 
and future, all while humbly recognizing our own ability to fall into sin at any time. We all should strive not to be religious, but to be in a deep relationship with Christ. Don't be a make-believer, be a genuine believer. God wants the real you, and he will, he will use the real you, not the make-believe you.